cuts are blood money. People will die. Black Lives Matter is killing Americans. Republicans want you to die quickly if you get sick. We could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters. This president has radicalized so many more people than ISIS ever did. Things are going swimmingly in Afghanistan. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Welcome back, everybody, to part two of our episode on inflation. Last time, we were able to kind of set the table with some background and history on inflation. So now let's not waste any time. We can just dive right in and talk about what everybody else has to say about inflation right now. Our first quote is going to be from President Biden's State of the Union address back in January. So it was a few months ago now, but I feel like it's still pretty relevant and speaks to a lot of the talking points that are being used right now. So Let's see what Biden had to say about inflation back in January. And so we have a choice. One way to fight inflation is to drive down wages and make Americans poor. I think I have a better idea to fight inflation. Lower your costs, not your wages. That means make more cars and semiconductors in America, more infrastructure and innovation in America, more goods moving faster and cheaper in America. More jobs where you can earn a good living in America. Instead of relying on foreign supply chains, let's make it in America. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, those are all cool talking points that get claps, but uh, he, contrary to what you just spoke about earlier, like he's speaking in a vacuum. You can't just, I'm sorry, lower, lower costs. Like that's not a possibility in a vacuum. There's so many other things at play. Right. And like he's clearly saying this because like the you know, if somebody just is tuning in and kind of listening to it and not uh, critically thinking about this. Sounds great. It sounds awesome. Right. Like, yeah, no, of course, I don't want you to, to lower my wages. Right. Like, yeah, lower your costs. You There's a company that has to stay afloat on the other end of that. Right. And, and you can't just like pull a lever, like especially with things like material goods, you're buying it from somewhere else. How are you? How can I force that other company to make my costs go down? You can't. Right. Yeah. And if you're saying, OK, now uh, my favorite part is like he starts talking about like, you know, we, we need to lower costs. So make it in America. <laughs> Yeah, you realize, yeah, sure. You realize that it costs more money to make it in America, right? I, that is the definition of it costing more. So, like, sure, I completely agree. I, I would like to bring jobs back to America. Yes, I agree with that point. That has nothing to do with fighting inflation. Nor would costs go down exactly. <laughs> at all. Exactly. So, like, clearly, you know, he's just focusing on um, pulling poorly on the economy and inflation right now. Let's use these buzzwords like higher wages and lower your costs and corporations are greedy and everybody's like, yeah, yeah. So we all believe you're doing something about inflation. Right. But if you take literally two seconds to think about what he's saying, it's just not true. Like, it's just not a feasible thing. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. And so he actually uh, he actually has another quote, too, uh, recently during an interview. Um, It's not on audio, but he says, I want to be crystal clear about the problem. There are two leading causes of inflation we're seeing today. The first cause of inflation is a once-in-a-century pandemic. Not only did it shut down our global economy, it threw our supply chains and demand completely out of whack. And this year, we have a second cause, Mr. Putin's war on Ukraine. Everyone else's problem. (laughs) Fingers pointing everywhere. (sighs) And um, ironically, too, right? So, yes, he points to the pandemic, and and that did increase inflation during 2020. Absolutely. It actually happened. we're, We're not disagreeing with that at all. 
Absolutely. But, you know, it was kind of amusing to me that they tried to make a hashtag Putin's price hike a thing. Yeah, I mean, it does roll off the tongue <laughs> yeah, nicely. It rolls off the tongue, but it's like these things were already getting out of hand before, you know, and I think I think a lot of people recognize that. Like, we can't try and blame this on something when it was already happening. Everybody knows that you're shoveling dollars out of the window of a moving helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't take that back. So <laughs> I agree because I think his poll numbers are so low. People do realize that sure those two things happened but it's about how we handled them and we didn't absolutely okay and here here's a here's a whopper from nancy pelosi well what let me just talk about the inflation thing because people are saying well what we're spending is causing the fact that people have jobs always contributes to increase in inflation and that's a good thing but inflation is not a good, you know, we have to contain yeah, it. Wages are not keeping up with prices. This is a classic case of manipulating uh, manipulating an economic indicator and describing it in the wrong way to suit your own purposes. We talked earlier about how inflation is a lagging indicator, right? There is also something else that is a lagging indicator. Um, and, you know, Nancy Pelosi is talking about how uh, we have we all have jobs. We all have jobs, so that is contributing to inflation. Guess what else is a lagging indicator? I'm gonna guess low unemployment. Yeah, that ding ding ding, you got it right. <laughs> so, so she's saying, oh, everybody's got jobs. That's you know causing inflation. Nope, both of these things are lagging indicators, and something else is driving these things to change. You, would you like to take a guess at what the thing is that's changing these two lagging indicators? Monetary and fiscal policy. That's that's the one, right? So it, it's just really frustrating to hear her misrepresent this. And I have to assume she's doing it intentionally. Like she's been, uh, you know, party to the government for long enough to understand how inflation works. Absolutely. All right. So we've got another another one from her. Uh, so let's listen in on that one. Secondly, it's important to note this about the BBB. The BBB is a deficit reduction bill. It's a bill that some people say when you increase the national debt, you increase inflation. 17 Nobel laureates uh, wrote that the the way the BBB was written with long-term investments and increasing the capacity of people to participate in our our success is non-inflationary. So the BBBBB is all about spending. I don't understand. BBBBB. <laughs> it's all spending. And then in the future, you can say, well, it might it might pay off later. Oh, maybe. Sure. We have a lot of bad and good ideas. We don't know how it's going to turn how, out. Tell us how you really feel, Andrew. <laughs> so she's talking about how this is a deficit reduction bill. Notice how she doesn't say that this bill will reduce the national debt. She's saying this is a def- deficit reduction bill. That means that the the budget deficit, which is the amount that we're taxing versus the amount that we're spending, is going to reduce year over year. If we focus for a second on what was happening last year, we were spending literally trillions of dollars on sending out stimulus checks to people. I think it was overall we spent like, what, $3 trillion on stimulus checks last year? Something something, something astronomical like that. Right? It's pretty easy to reduce the deficit when you spent an exorbitant amount of money the prior year. So if the comparison is these, or these previous years where spending was so terrible, of course we look better comparatively. Right, and those two years were anomalies. So you're not, you're not improving anything. But, right, and we're absolutely not 
reducing the, the national debt, right? This is two to two and a half trillion dollars in new spending on top of what we would normally spend. And if you notice, she's very particular in the way that she describes this. She says uh, 17 Nobel laureates uh, <laughs> claim that the deficit will decrease the way that the bill is written. And those are very key words that she says there. She says, the, the 17 Nobel laureates say that the way the bill is written, it will reduce the deficit. And the reason why she says that is because the bill is written with uh, expiration dates to the spending amounts and extra years tacked on to the additional taxes that will be given. I like to think of this like the way that they manipulate the salary cap in the NFL. So when they're trying to kind of manipulate the way things run out, they'll tack some extra years onto the the contract. So they're like dummy years to spread the cap over multiple years. They're essentially doing exactly that with the spending here by putting expiration dates, but all of these uh, all of these expenses are expected to continue not just for two to three years like they're saying, but all the way through the full 10 years. And if that is the case, then that two and a half trillion dollars, now grows to over $5 trillion of excess spending, and it is no longer a deficit reduction bill. How about it that? is a deficit-increasing bill, a debt-increasing bill. It's just so infuriating when we're saying these things that are just not true, and we're doing it for a specific agenda that we're trying to accomplish. We're intentionally deceiving people by saying that we're reducing the deficit when we're not. Yeah. And you're kind of playing on people's lack of ability to follow up on most of this stuff. And on, on face value, like you said, it looks better than what it is. And you can't start these programs for a handful of years and then, like, we're already committed. We have to continue to fund them for them to be effective will be the argument down the road. Right. And and we have to rely on other people, exactly like what you were saying, to mine this data. These bills that they're putting forth, this BBB bill, isn't a five-page bill that describes what they're going to be doing. Like, it is a stack of paper that is like taller than my desk. It is an enormous bill. So me as Joe Schmo, I'm not going to be able to go and read this bill and suddenly know what's going on with it. I have to rely on other people to sift through this enormous bill and tell me what it means. And if you let the government tell you what it means, as we just discovered, <laughs> they're lying to you straightforward. Um, and there's also something else that's key here too, right? So she's talking about these 17 Nobel laureates. Do you dig up on them? It is very, very well known that since the late 1980s, the Nobel Prize in Economics is just a widely liberal award. Essentially, no conservatives have won it for four decades almost. So, and it's liberal uh, in a political sense, not the economic sense, because liberal, they mean the opposite from economics and politics. Um, but it would be very easy to cherry pick super hyper partisan people in order to support your bill, case in point. Uh, Nobel laureate Joseph Stiglitz uh, was singing sweet, sweet music about Venezuela's economy in 2016. Andrew, do you remember what happened to Venezuela's uh, economy in 2018? Hyperinflation. <laughs> that's right. Um, Disaster. So literally one of these Nobel laureates that's saying, this is a great bill. Uh, this BBB is a fantastic bill, uh, was saying the exact same thing about an economy that 
very soon after experienced hyperinflation. So not sure I, I don't trust. know if I want to hitch my wagon uh, to this individual, right? I would rather look at the fundamentals of this bill and say, this bill is increasing spending. Spending for inflation is bad. But sometimes the simple answer is the right answer, right? Also, uh, one good thing that came out of the pandemic, I think, was people kind of realizing that just because you're credentialed or hold a high position, it does not necessarily mean that your political leanings aren't going to influence uh, th what you support and promote. And that's Case, both sides. Yeah, right. Bo both sides. Exactly. Right. Just because somebody is, you know, a professor or somebody is, uh, you know, holds a high rank in the government it doesn't mean that they don't have political views that are going to kind of bleed into what they're trying to say. So just saying this bill is good because 17 people said it's good. You kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. I, I, and I'm not saying that we don't trust anybody, right? And I'm not saying that we don't take what they have to say, but you know, you can uh, give it a lens of critical thinking before you just kind of accept it as true. The sad, the, yeah, the truth is you have to dig. Um, All right, and I I feel like we're we're beating up on on Speaker Pelosi right now, but we've we've just got one more that we got to go to. Um, so take a listen to to this. And we have uh, uh, legislation that is so transformative for our country. When you see what President Biden has done in in this year, whether it's the rescue package that has put money in people's pockets, taken people off of poverty vaccines in their arms and the rest. You know that. Yes, then people are feeling it right now. No, I understand upset. that. No, I understand that. But there has to be a cumulative effect, a cumulative effect. And part of the uh, consequences of all of that investment in the infrastructure bill and the rest is that more people have jobs and and therefore inflation goes up. So she starts talking about transformative legislation and like, frankly, we're talking about inflation here. We're not concerned about whether or not we're transforming the nation. Um, we just need to get rid of inflation, right? And then she starts talking about how, uh, you know, the American Rescue Package brought people off of poverty. I don't think a stimulus check has brought a single person off of poverty. Like, it's such a temporary solution to things. Like, it's just a wild statement to make. Most people spent it on food and rent and things they couldn't get buy with previously so no no one's life was transformed or changed it was like you said very temporary and, and that's an actual statistic right that most people it was food uh electricity uh utilities clothes, yeah. utilities yeah everyone's promoting their own bill and packages as if you know it is great and transformative and that that's listening to someone speak about their own side's d idea it's obviously inflated what they think about it or what they're trying to tell us about it. Definitely. And so actually to that token, there is one person uh, that is kind of going against the grain on their side. And that's our, our good friend that we talked about earlier, uh, Joe Manchin. Um, so we actually have a quote from him that's talking about uh, actually it's this BBBBBBB bill. So let's listen to what Joe Manchin has to say about this spending. This inflation is real. It's harming people. It's 7.5%, that's a tax. And it continues to increase, it's not decreasing. So the feds have to step up to the plate and do something. The administration has to do, we all have to work together right now to get our financial house in order. If not, it's gonna be absolutely horrible what it's gonna to do to the American economy. You know, what do you think about just yesterday, Speaker Pelosi doubled down and, well, tripled or quadrupled down, I guess, on Build Back Better would help fight inflation? This is not a time to be throwing more fuel on the fire. We have an inflation, we have, 
uh, inflation, and we have basically uh, an economy that's on fire. You don't throw more fuel on the fire that's already on fire, causing the problems that we have. He's he's singing the same tune we are. I mean, and I and I don't know if it's it's acting or not. I know so many public heads are are good at this, but just seeming to show empathy with the plight of the people and acknowledging what actually is happening, I think goes a long way. Like when you hear Pelosi previously, she's clearly just still marketing to us about an agenda, not, not admitting that there is something bad going on here. And, and we need to take a step back and think about it critically to, to actually address it. Yeah. And, and particularly like we are acknowledging here, like Manchin is a Democrat, right? So he's going against his party and and kind of saying this. This is not a popular opinion uh, amongst his peers, not right? At all. So he's he's going to get flack for this. Um, you know, one could probably argue he's going in this direction because uh, if he because that's his supporter base, right? He's from West Virginia, so you know if he doesn't pursue this particular dialogue, then maybe he'll get voted out. But like at least it does take a little bit of a you know a backbone in order to be able to do this within your own party. Um, one thing that I do kind of like, uh, you know, it's a little bit much is, you know, when he says when he's talking about like adding fuel to the fire, this economy is on fire, right? It's a little bit much considering the the historical context, right? We we've talked about this, like it's not a record. There has been higher inflation before. Like, yes, it is absolutely a concern. You know, maybe this is a little bit inflammatory, but I think the point is he's like he's trying to get a focus on the fact that we need to address this and it, it's related to spending. Absolutely. All right. So, so we have one here from, uh, it's, do you know how to pronounce the last name of the white, white house press secretary who, who just left, uh, Jen Saki? Saki. When I hear it, that's fine. But Is then I Saki? read it and it's, you know, different. Yeah. It's, it's Saki. <laughs> like the, like the great drink at the hibachi that they, <laughs> that's the thing. Whenever I read it, I'm always thinking about hibachi and I'm like, you know, I'm assuming that maybe it's not pronounced that way, but maybe it is. I don't know. (laughs) She's not the Saki you want. (laughs) All right. So uh, in a press conference, uh, one of the White House press conferences, uh, she was asked, why should Americans not be concerned that injecting another 1.57 trillion or more would raise inflation? And her response was, because no economist out there is projecting that. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, right. Like, okay, so let's just sweep, you know, Larry Summers, Stephen Ratner, you know, all the other people who have come against this that are, you know, very well-renowned economists under the rug and pretend like they didn't say the opposite. It might be split um, down the middle. And that's what's crazy to ignore, like, I would say roughly 50% right. or more. And, and not to say that you disagree with them, right? Like, if if her response to those Americans is, um, you know, because we have a different perspective on it, sure. But like, this is... If there's one thing that I've learned while going through these quotes is that Jen Psaki is the queen of gaslighting. Like everybody's concerned about inflation. What do you think? Inflation isn't real. Like Absolutely. That's essentially what she said. If you is, exclusively listen to her, you would have zero pulse on actually what's happening in the country. Exactly. Absolutely. You know who I really miss? Who? Sean Spicer. Really? Do you remember that guy? <laughs> I do. He was So I I actually disagree with you. I think the best move that uh, the Trump administration made was when they got rid of Spicer and replaced him with... I can't remember the I can't remember name. her name. Uh, but she, honestly, I think was probably one of the best... Oh. The best prepared press secretaries of all time. I agree with you, yeah. Whether uh, you agree with her or not. I, I understand she is the press secretary for Trump, right? So there's a whole, you know, broad group of people who are just going to immediately be like, no, Tune I don't out. like it. 
if you think of the preparation and the capability to answer a question, I was absolutely floored by that. Yeah. Well, let me clarify. I don't miss Sean Spicer. I miss, <laughs> you miss his laughing at him. <laughs> oh my gosh. He was just, uh, if, if, if he was around while we were doing this, he, his quotes would be littered everywhere. on the page. Absolutely. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. We actually, so now we're moving on to a few tweets that, that were out there. So we have one from AOC. AOC. Uh, yeah. House Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So, uh, or she tweeted, we know inflation is being driven in part by price gouging. How do corporations get away with it? Market consolidation. One in four retail sales is made by Walmart and Amazon. Prices aren't being dictated by supply and demand. They're being dictated by CEOs. She's clearly been speaking about the bullying nature maybe of of huge organizations and she's been talking about this for years since she got on the national scene so i I feel like she's just using inflation to further promote that idea that she's that she's really behind yeah i think you're spot on with that right so i actually agree with her that the policies related to the consolidation of corporations and you know breaking them up fighting monopolies and uh oligopolies and all that has not been something that has been uniformly used and it is probably should be used a lot more so i actually agree with her on that but let's think of this within the context of inflation like exactly like you were saying i don't know if she has ever been to walmart and shopped in walmart would you ever uh, accuse Walmart of price gouging? You're right. Good point. Good point. <laughs> I don't think I've ever walked into a Walmart and been like, whoo, this is too expensive. I've got to wait on this purchase. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, good point. This is not what is contributing to inflation. Having corporations who have perfectly streamlined the supply chain to the point where they have reduced costs as much as possible, where, you know, low costs are the thing that they're right? This is not what is causing inflation. And pick companies that are maybe ex- price expensive things. Right. Literally, Amazon and Walmart are like the lowest prices you can pretty much find it's anywhere. The reason why they're there. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. Exactly. So like, I, I get your point, you know, AOC, I, I I agree with you partially. But like, if we're talking about inflation, this is not going to work. If Time you, and place, If AOC. you break them down, prices will go up fact like that there is no disputing that whatsoever right and she says we know inflation is being driven um, by price gouging and she does say in part so i i do have to give her that but it's actually like pretty much the opposite when it comes to the actual data the federal reserve of san francisco just did a study on the causes of inflation in 2021 and they determined that spending by the government was directly related to three percent of the increase in inflation in 2021, right? We saw uh, the numbers were, what, 8.5%? It's almost half of the total inflation. And then healthy inflation is 2 to 3 Like, normal inflation is 2 to 3% anyway. So, like, the leftovers that could go to any other reason uh, is, like, maybe 2%. So, I don't know. Uh, to me, to me, I, I'm not buying what she's selling there. So, we also have a few interesting article headlines uh the, the first one an npr article from asma khalid uh check out this title the economy is strong but voters aren't feeling it <laughs> which what? i, I kind of laughed at that one because it's like if a tree falls in the forest but nobody's there to get crushed by it like did it fall did it did it even fall right the economy is strong but voters aren't feeling it 
Isn't the whole point of the economy that the voters are participants in it? Yeah. It, no one is noticing, but this is happening, but no one notices. <laughs> right. And then uh, in the article, it said, uh, there's not much Biden can do about inflation, which like, it's just... I think he has some of the more important levers that he can pull. Right. Like not even just from a spending perspective, but also from a... Mo so from a monetary policy perspective, you have like, yes, it's controlled by the Fed and the Fed is like a quasi government entity and it's supposed to be, you know, uh, its own separate entity. But like we've kind of learned from the past that there can be some kind of like, you know, signaling, I guess, from the sure. White House, like a kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like, hey, I would love it if you did some expansionary policy right now. And then, you know, lo and behold, expansionary policy takes hold. Um, and that's decades ago or eternity past. But everyone has cell phones now. They're talking to each other like on right. a regular basis, I imagine. Exactly. So so to say that Biden had there's not much he can do about inflation like come on uh, you know i don't know i mean that's giving him an easy pass for sure yeah definitely um and so then we have another article uh it, this was an msnbc article titled americans don't get how inflation works that's a problem for biden See, like so seriously? we're so we're so dumb <laughs> like this is so condescending like yeah. you know what and it didn't uh didn't saki just get a job at a msnbc is that true? That's I what think, she I think so. And, you know, I think they're a match made in heaven, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> you have one person that's gaslighting, and then you have another one that just thinks that everybody is a moron. Yeah. Um, you know, MSNBC clearly just thinks that America just doesn't, you know. And so, like, uh, kind of their reference point was them saying that 34% of Americans knew that the Fed had a role in fighting inflation and 51% said that they had heard the Fed the Fed raised rates, but 75% didn't know that the Fed was independent from the White House. And like, th those are probably fair statistics, but at the same time, like... That doesn't mean we don't know what's going on. Right. That doesn't mean that people don't understand how inflation works or what inflation is. Like, and that's, I don't know, the, the, the title is just way too condescending for me. Yeah, the summary of these headlines are, we don't, none of us know there's a good economy. We don't know what inflation is, and our president can't do anything about it. Right. Like, what? And, and there was a subtitle on, on that article, too, that said, eight in 10 Americans think the federal government needs to do more to fight inflation. I'm not sure they really want that. <laughs> the current administration, absolutely not. Well, it, and it's like MSNBC, whoever is writing this article, feels like they know better than Americans what Americans want. <laughs> like, eight in 10 Americans want inflation to be fought because there's higher prices that they can't sustain wouldn't, that's that, a, wouldn't that be 10 out of 10 americans would want that i mean who be? knows maybe <laughs> there's there's two out of 10 americans that are like hey these I'm higher these this. higher prices are great yeah weird. <laughs> i don't know me neither um so then we also have a uh, a tweet from uh kevin mccarthy so this is a republican representative uh who tweeted Inflation is running rampant due in part to out-of-control spending from President Biden and Speaker Pelosi. Not too far. I, You know, I never saw myself aligning with Republicans as much, but these days it's easier too. And yeah, I mean, aside from we mentioned earlier that, you know, in, in the past, inflation actually did run rampant. We're not, it's not too, too much of a tornado right now, but it he seems kind of correct in like why it's happening. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I guess like point. running rampant, like maybe that's a little bit aggressive. But like 
out of control spending, sure, yeah. <clears throat> and you know, he he's sure to put the the elbow in of saying out of control spending from President Biden and Speaker Pelosi. Like he's he's sure to tag who is responsible for that spending. Understandable. Um but I do give him him uh you know, a little bit of kudos for saying running rampant in part because of out of control spending. So he at least does give a caveat to say that there are other things that are in, impacting it. So like, I do have to give him that too. Right. Yeah. And the other side was exclusively blaming Putin or the, or the pandemic. Um, at least he's being even handed. Right. So then we have a, a, a quote from Chuck Schumer. Um, so this one we'll, we'll have a listen on this one. If you want to get rid of inflation, the only way to do it, is to um, re- undo a lot of the Trump tax cuts and raise rates. No Republican is ever going to do that. So the only way to get rid of inflation is through reconciliation. So in the exact opposite way of what uh, Kevin McCarthy just said earlier, Chuck Schumer says the only way only. to reduce inflation is to get rid of the Trump tax cuts. Like how very specific. As if those ex- exclusively brought it all on too. Right, exactly. Um, and so... He's saying, let's tax people more, which, yes, absolutely, if you tax people, um, so taxes pull money out of the economy and into the government. Contractionary, um, per se. Contractionary in, in that sense, right? So, yes, raising taxes or eliminating tax cuts will reduce inflation. But he says the only way to reduce inflation is to get rid of tax cuts as if there's no opposite side of the equation. Uh, once the government takes the money in, that's it, right? There's... Oh wait, the the government spends money too, so you can control that as well, right? Each one of these talking heads, like if you just put them all together, they might have a decent idea, but each one of them is just purporting one single problem that helps out their cause. Right, and you can almost always take their quote and pivot it in the exact opposite direction, right? So he says, no Republican is ever going to do that in reference to raising taxes, right? Let's take that and turn it around. You can say, no Democrat is ever going to do that in regards to lowering spending. Why don't we just have an amicable conversation and why don't we do both things, right? Like, if both of these things have merit, why don't we just take a balance and make sure that both of these things happen while also, like, he didn't even mention monetary policy at all. Throw that out the window, right? That doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> so... I, I don't know. That that one was really frustrating. And so then we have uh, we also have uh, Elise Stanfick, a uh, Republican representative. Uh, in a press conference, she said, inflation is skyrocketing because of Democrats' reckless and wasteful spending and reckless tax and spend policies. That's a mouthful. It is. Um, one thing that I do have to give credit for is that uh, Elise Stanfick was one of the first people that kind of sounded the alarm on inflation before we got into this mess, right? So she kind of said like, hey, this this is kind of a concern before we hit the, you know, 83 and 8.5% inflation. So kudos to her on that. But I don't know if I'm remembering correctly, though, were we talking about inflation in the first iteration of the pandemic that wasn't really part of the conversation right um well so this wasn't this was kind of right in between it right so it was after the pandemic but right when they were kind of like still throwing all of that money out there and keeping the rates low uh she kind of raised the flag and um so like uh, agree with that the the thing that i really kind of take issue with here is her her using the phrase reckless tax and spend policies because as we just noted right above, taxes pull money out of the economy, right? So 
it the issue is not tax and spend policies it's the spending right so like it's a you know semantics kind of uh, you know i get what she's getting at but you know i would just be a little bit more specific on that well wouldn't you think though as a republican she wouldn't want to talk about the taxing issue right and if that's not an issue it would be in her best interest to just mention spending policies that is, yeah, I'm, that I'm surprised is true. you would bring taxing into it in the first place. Um, I think tax and spend is just a buzzword okay, that fair. they like to use. And so it, like it, it's a buzzword that doesn't necessarily fit in this context. Like, yes, uh, inflation. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the spending. Inflation is skyrocketing. You know, yeah, you know, OK, it, it is high, but obviously they, they want to sound the alarm in that particular way. So that's why it's kind of phrased that way. Sure. All right, Ted Cruz had had to throw some stuff in here as well. Um, he, he in a very two dimensional way, like everyone else we've spoke about so far. He he says that when it comes to spending, spending trillions is what is driving inflation. And yes, that seems to be the biggest problem, at least here in the U.S. But there's also the other factors, like very obviously the supply chain. Now this war in Ukraine and specifically our own monetary policy. Um, no Republicans or even Democrats seem to be calling out that problem. Rate hikes are happening very late and too low of intervals each time. And we're in, we're in a position where we're speaking about stagflation on a regular basis, and it seems to be because we didn't act fast enough. And I'm pretty sure Ted Cruz is like kind of low on your list of uh, politicians that you appreciate. I mean, do you like him as a base? When he speaks, it's just hard. <laughs> He, he seems he comes off as um, I, I, I disingenuous to the core. I get a little opinion. smarmy, but um, but that's the right word. A lot of times I, I do like he is very much so a proponent of cutting spending. Right. And I, I agree with you. You know, I agree that spending trillions is absolutely driving inflation. But, you know, to your point, rate hikes are, are just um, not where they need to be. And. Yeah, that could be maybe the most important thing that's happening now is that we're not acting fast enough in a monetary way. Sure. And also, Republicans are quick to point their fingers at Democrats and be like, Democrat spending is ruining everything. But let's not forget, let's rewind back just a few short years ago and Trump was like shoveling money into the fire. And uh, I wonder why that's not being talked about enough. I never hear people talk about And you would think that would be perfect fodder for Democrats that that the Trump administration, and when I say unprecedented, I'm not just referring to a few years back or with the prior administration, like never, ever has Republican administrations spent like he did. That was that was like uncharacteristic of that side of the aisle. Well, and it's so it's funny that you mentioned that, too, right, because no Republicans are like call it, No Republicans complained about it at the time None. when it was happening. Right. There's just no political consistency. And like, that's my that's my uh, war drum that I beat. Like, just be consistent in the things that you're saying. If you think spending is a problem, I want you to always think that spending is a problem. And that is one prop that I do have to give to Ted Cruz. He always has considered spending a problem, right? When You're so right. When, totally when right. Trump was spending, he was like, you need to stop spending as much. But... There weren't many of them on the right side of the aisle. And it was, and even then, it was still like kind of a quieter voice saying, "Like, hey, you should probably draw it back a little bit." As opposed to, you know, if it were, uh, you know, slap a donkey on it instead of an elephant, and they'd be screaming about it. You know, Um, (laughs) so I think he's outspent Obama in four years. Oh, it's not even close. Like that's that's crazy Um, that he got away with it. (laughs) Yeah, and so. 
and it's both sides of the aisle are completely guilty of it equivalently, right? So the last time that we ended up with an annual reduction in the debt, and to be clear, not the deficit, right? Like Pelosi was talking about. The last time there was a reduction in the debt was Dwight Eisenhower in 1957. A lifetime ago. That is such a long time that no one has reduced the debt in the four, in the, sorry, the just one year, <laughs> just one wow. year wow. that they reduced the debt. The last time, the last president to reduce the debt every year that they were in office, Calvin Coolidge in 1924 to 1929, he reduced the debt every year that he was in office. I've heard that before. I think it's worth digging in on another podcast. Like, I would love to know specifically how that played out because I can't even imagine how that actually would have worked because we just, we well, don't do that. We can't do that now. Well, think about it. it. It was the roaring 20s, right? So you had a time where it is ripe for contractionary policy because your economy is doing great and actually having a mind to take that money and pay off your debt as opposed to just letting it balloon up and up and up. We've gotten so used to it because the last 10 presidents have not cared whatsoever about the deficit, clearly, right? They didn't try to reduce the debt at all. So it's just one of those things where they make it seem like you can't do it and you could never do it. Clearly, it can be done, right? As long as you take the right approach to it. So that being said, so we have a special quote coming up. So when we were initially uh, tossing about names for the show, one of the things that we had floated around, because we love puns so very much, <laughs> because we're both quirky dads, very punny, um, is uh, centrifugal farce. And so the concept of that name was, uh, so centrifugal force being um, a force that moves you away from a central point. Um, and then farce was kind of a, a comedy that would be put on that was so ridiculous and preposterous that it was, you know, a little bit funny. Um, and it was just used to d distract people from everyday life. So, you know, centrifugal farce to me is politically, you know, politicians intentionally going as far left or as far right as they can in order to kind of uh, appeal to their base. And then, you know, to the point where it's comical in order to just kind of distract from what's really going on. So we, we've created uh, this concept of a, the Centrifugal Farce Award, um, which will be given out every episode to the most ridiculous comment that we could find related to the topic. Yeah. Yeah. Unreelable. We can't reel it in if we try. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> Unreelable. Okay. Who gets so, it this time, Ken? So the Centrifugal Farce Award goes to Jesse Lee, a senior advisor uh, for communications to President Biden, tweeted that Republican Senator Rick Scott was in lockstep with Russian President Vladimir Putin over his criticism of Biden's policies related to inflation. Wow. He is accusing someone of being in lockstep with someone who is... One of the baddest dudes on the planet. Committing... I mean, it can be described as genocide in an all-out war against a country that didn't ask for it. And he's saying that Rick Scott is in lockstep with him because he disagrees with his policy on inflation. <laughs> what would you call someone who did more than just disagree with policies? Uh, that's as, <laughs> right. that's as bad as it gets. What where else do you could go you call from some? there? Right. <laughs> the Satan incarnate himself. Like, that's essentially what he's calling. Him. <laughs> and like, there are some of these quotes where, like, you know, we could kind of find a grain of truth or accuracy and, you know, 
we can agree with a portion of it or say like, eh, they went a little bit too far. This is just ridiculous. <laughs> like It's just outright preposterous. Yeah. If you don't agree with Biden policies, you are committing genocide. Sorry, Rick Scott. You're, you're a bad guy. <laughs> Jesse Lee, you are the Centrifugal Farce Award winner for this episode. Well done. <laughs> All right, so those quotes are great. Really comical when you put them back to back. But the general gist is that the left wants to blame corporate greed, Putin, COVID, and the but weirdest... But at the same time, it's not actually happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's nothing not to see here. But, but here's but it's our, Putin's fault. Absolutely. Or, and people having jobs, right? Like yeah. <laughs> that, that seems to be a real problem. And the right on the other side is just saying this is exclusively Biden's fault. Um, the economy is on fire. It's out of control. Biden did it. Biden did it. Um, but let's reel it in, right? The inflation is, as we showed, is not historic. Uh, it's bad, but not outrageous. And we just need to have pretty boring, responsible policies to reel it in. Uh, it's it's less spending, it's higher interest rates, and it's stabilizing the supply chain so we can ensure this doesn't go on for years to come. Absolutely. Um, so that brings us to the end of our episode. We would love to hear feedback um, or recommendations for topics that you'd like to hear us talk about. Um, so feel free to leave us a review on wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at RealItInPodcast or email us at TheRealItInPodcast at gmail.com. Um, that is R-E-A-L, RealItInPodcast. So yeah, absolutely. We're trying to kind of build a broader social media presence, but we have no idea how social media works. So we'll figure it out as we go. So thanks for sticking with us and uh, we'll see you next time on Real It In. See you soon.